Good morning. Our study of God's Word for the last class for this year is located in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. You may consider this section we're entering into today to be a refreshing break from some of the more tedious sections of this Old Testament book. Because starting in chapter 7, we have statements written in what is called proverbial format. So there are several standalone statements in chapter 7 and chapter 8. They're tied together with a certain theme, but there are proverbs in the book of Ecclesiastes. The theme in chapter 7 and into chapter 8 is what is better. Something is better than something else. And those we call value statements. There is truth for our learning today about the better course in life, the better attitude, the better approach. These are proverbs in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 7 and in chapter 8. We'll begin after prayer. Heavenly Father, to Thee we express our praise, adoration, gratitude, and love. Love and gratitude for Jesus Christ and our thankfulness for Thy Word to lead us to Him and supply the wisdom we need to navigate life under the sun. To Thee, the Maker of the Son, we give our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. A different approach is called for as we begin today. Rather than beginning with a lengthy reading into chapter 7, I want to take up the statement that opens the chapter as it is presented in what I referred to a moment ago as proverbial format. It is a value statement. I'm, I'm going to ask you to notice that uh, something is wrong here. I don't know what's happening here, but I'm going to try to fix that in just a moment. And I might have to go back and hit another button. I want you to look at statement number one, verse one in Ecclesiastes chapter seven. A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name is better than precious ointment. Hit enter when it comes up. Yeah. And stay up here if you don't mind. This is a value statement. It is designed to show that something is more valuable than another. In that time and in that culture, ointment and perfume was a precious commodity. Similar to a liquid that we would identify today as a perfume or a cologne or perhaps a lotion with some medicinal purpose. Proverbs 27.9 says that oil and perfume make the heart glad. So all through the Old Testament, especially in Jewish culture, a great deal of emphasis can be found on ointment and perfume and oil as a precious commodity. People in that time would travel sometimes for a long distance to purchase exquisite oils, perfumes, and ointments. 
Um, I don't know if they were called essential oils <clears throat> or how they were marketed, but that's the idea. We're just going to leave it alone, son. <clears throat> we can imagine with this history in the Old Testament of emphasis on the value of oil and perfume that Solomon in his wealth enjoyed the benefits of the richest perfumes and incenses and oils of that day. But at some point, Solomon made this discovery. He had this thought, and God helped him with it, I'm certain. And God inspired him to write it. A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name is better than precious ointment. That's a value statement. Something is better than something else. Now, the good name is not about what appears on your driver's license, Warren or Charles or, or Victor. That's not the idea. This is really about the reputation of the person. That's the use of the term name here, the reputation of the person. And reputation is always pictured in the Bible as something that is generated by character. So you cannot just sit down and write your reputation and submit that to everybody. Your reputation emerges from your character. And that raises the following questions. What do people see when they are around you? What conclusions do they draw about who you are and what's important to you and how you've decided to live? What do people hear us say? What do our friends learn about us by watching our behavior and listening to us? What impressions do we make on people? Solomon, in this opening statement in Ecclesiastes 7, focuses our attention on reputation and influence. And it's not something you can write and hand to people. It is something that people see in you that emerges from your character. And if I may be permitted some crudeness based on what Solomon says here, you can smell good, but stink. You can be wearing the most expensive and popular cologne or perfume. You can be adorned in the latest fashion. You can have the most exquisite and expensive makeup or hairdo, but if your reputation is corrupt, decayed, and unrighteous, it doesn't matter how sweet you smell or how pretty you look. That's the implication from Solomon's proverb in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1. The first statement is designed to make us think about our character. From our character, reputation is generated. And that's more important than the expensive cologne that you wear or the expensive oils that you might apply to your body. A good name is better than precious ointment. Now let's add to that. Let's let Solomon add to it. He says that and then he follows up. And the day of death than the day of birth. Now, that strikes us oddly, doesn't it? 
it seems to us a birth is better than a death. A baby shower would be more enjoyable than a funeral. That's our first reaction to those events when we compare them. Why would the day of death be better? Why would it be good at all? What would a funeral have to offer that would be better than a birth or a baby shower? Sometimes in the Old Testament when you discover a proverb, right after the proverb it's explained. Very similar to Jesus who would issue a parable and the disciples would say, what does that mean? And Jesus would give them an explanation of it. That's exactly what we have in Ecclesiastes 7. We start out in verse 1 with a proverb, a value statement, something is better than another. Then the second part of that valued statement, the day of death is better than the day of birth, requires explanation. And here it is, 2 to 6. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. <clears throat> for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. So you start in Ecclesiastes 7 with a proverb that is a value statement. One thing is better than another. Your reputation that comes from your character is better than all the oils and perfumes that you have. Then Solomon makes an odd statement at the end of that, the day of death better than the day of birth. And then what comes after is an explanation of what that's all about. So our question is answered. Our question is, how is death better than birth? And Solomon answers, and his answer is from verse 2 to verse 6. And his point is, on the occasion of a death, there is a soberness and reality that every individual present can take to heart if they're willing to. On the occasion of a death, there is a soberness and reality that every person there can take to heart if they're willing to. Something you don't get from a party or a comedy routine or a fun event or even a baby shower. Now, it is not automatic, but if we are open to good reflection personally... On the occasion of a death, we can be prompted to take life more seriously. Knowing death for us is ahead. The point is not the raw comparison between a baby and a dead body. That's not the point. The point has to do with the sober perspective you can gain from a funeral 
that would not be the same reaction if you were present for a birth or a baby shower. Death forces us to think about life if we're willing to go there in our head. Death forces us to think about life, to think about life not just in some broad universal generic scope, but to think about it personally and to grapple with the reality that we will die. Sometimes when you attend a funeral, your thought may be, I'm going to be in that box someday. Someday the people will be in this place surrounded by my family. And my name will be the subject of the eulogy. That's what Solomon's getting at. The serious reflection that can be individually a good thought process. That you would not encounter every day or at a baby shower or any other event. But you attend a funeral and there's opportunity to force you to think about your life, where your life is headed, and how it's going to end. What's the preacher going to say? What are the people going to think? Are they going to have hope? Are they going to be in despair? I remember Psalm 1912, uh, 90. <clears throat> Psalm 9012. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, we've got the main idea. Let's work on it, dig a little deeper. Look more closely at how Solomon develops this idea from verse 2 over to verse 6. He says in verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Well, I, I usually stop there and, and say to myself, I really enjoy a potluck. I really enjoy being with folks in a casual, friendly, social setting. Maybe some food and some good conversation and joking around and telling stories and playing games. I love to do that. But when the occasion is over, when the potluck is over or the game night is over, the reflective emotion I have is only, that sure was fun. I had a good time. The predominant thought after a casual party is not about my soul or eternity. I don't leave a party thinking about what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to be a better Christian? Most parties do not mention death, the soul, eternity, or the Savior. Parties are mostly inconsequential when it comes to matters of eternity. They're meant to be fun. There's no depth of thought about life. So you don't go to a party and hear about death, soul, eternity, or the Savior. Where do you hear about that? At a funeral. At a funeral. Very different when I attend a funeral from when I go to the potluck and have a good time. I don't leave a funeral, generally, laughing. I don't leave the mortuary thinking about how much fun I had. I am sobered in the house of mourning. 
It causes me to think about the brevity of life. My thoughts are likely to be, when I leave the funeral, about the reality of death, the certainty of judgment, and what do I need to do with myself about all that? Because I'm going to meet God. That's Solomon's point. That's what he's talking about when he says, the day of death is better than the day of birth. He explains it is better. See, there's your value statement. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. And then he adds, for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. The New International Version does a good job at this verse. Death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. That's what Solomon's getting across. Notice those expressions, take this to heart or lay it to heart. This is likely to be the reflective thinking that we engage in in the presence of death. Solomon believes that reflective personal thinking at a funeral is good for us. And and I want to stress again, this is not automatic. The fact that you step out of your car into a parking lot of a funeral home and walk into a funeral home and you're a part of that audience and there's a dead person being eulogized, it's not automatic that you're going to reflect about your life. But you should. You should. And it's more likely that you will at a funeral than at a party. But Solomon wants to explain something further. Thus, in verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. Now he's just taken us to another level about all this. If you want, you can do sort of an unscientific comparative study about this. Look at the faces of people at a funeral. Just look at the faces of people at a funeral. And compare that with the faces of people who are coming out of a party. Those leaving a funeral will generally have sad faces. But Solomon wants us to know that that's all right. Sadness is okay. Grief is okay. Because sadness and grief can lead us to good self-examination about the fact that we will die and we need to do certain things to be ready for that. A sad face is good for the heart in this context. Solomon says this another way in verse 4. We're in Ecclesiastes 7. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now, here's the way to think about this. Where is your heart? Most people would have to say, I attend funerals, but my heart is really at parties, sporting events, 
entertainment concerts. Many people would have to confess that. I don't think Solomon is forbidding all social occasions where there isn't a dead body. His point is we ought to appreciate occasions where we are made to reflect about life and the end of life. We ought to appreciate occasions where we are made to reflect about life and the end of life. Parties are great if there is no sinful activity going on, so long as they are morally pure. But funerals may actually be better for us. If we take to heart the realities that are put in our face and in our hearts when we attend a funeral. There is birth, life, death, judgment, and eternity somewhere. Parties don't bring that up. Funerals do. You're sad about the loss and you have hope for those who've been faithful to God. But what we're really focused here on now is what it does to you about your life. What you think about when you attend that event. That's what the focus is here. Verse 5, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. When I was a boy, my parents would be invited to parties. And... uh, we couldn't afford babysitters, and so you'd take the kids along to those gatherings. And I remember back then, uh, late 40s, early 50s, people would sometimes gather around a piano. You remember that? At a party? And they would sing. I remember the songs they would sing. In Arkansas, there there were songs like, Shine on, shine on. Somebody finish that? Harvest moon. Somebody else my age here. Up in the sky. America the beautiful. I'm a Yankee doodle dandy. And all those songs, it's fun and laughter and, and food. And my parents took me to other occasions where there were different songs. Lord be with you till we meet again. And all those funerals. And even as a little boy, I could tell those were different. Those were different events. And preachers in that day would soundly admonish unbelievers at a funeral to get ready for judgment. Some of you remember that? Preachers in that day would soundly admonish unbelievers at a funeral and call upon the living to take it to heart. That's what Solomon is talking about here in verse 5. Death is more likely to generate these sober thoughts about your life compared to a birth or a party. We're at verse 6. For as the crackling thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Well, he's he's digging even a little deeper here. The laughter of the fools. The fool is not sober and reflective about death and eternity. The fool is absorbed 
and takes greater pleasure in eating, drinking, and merriment and doesn't want to think about eternity. Solomon knew about foolishness firsthand. Not only by inspiration, but by experience he knew about it. The focus of those things on those things that are under the sun. In spite of his vast knowledge, he practiced foolishness when his heart was taken away from God into all manner of worldly endeavors that didn't last. Here's the way he describes that. The crackling of thorns under a pot. You laugh and have a good time, but it's so brief. Doesn't, doesn't last very long. Two weeks ago Tuesday, what did you laugh about? <laughs> you have no idea what you laughed about two weeks ago Tuesday. If you went to a funeral the last two weeks, I bet you remember something about that. See, there is a big difference between that brief laughter you have at a party and the long-term reflection about eternity that you can get from a funeral. And that's what Solomon is taking us into in proverbial ways. The crackling of thorns under a pot. That doesn't last very long. The laughter of fools is like that. It is, some might say, a flash in the pan. And it's gone. You don't remember what you laughed about two weeks ago. But if somebody died and you thought about it and went to the funeral and listened to the preacher read from Scripture, you may remember that. That's better, Solomon says. That's better. Solomon doesn't say, don't ever laugh. Don't have a good time. Don't go to a party. Don't sing Shine on Harvest Moon. Solomon doesn't say that. He says, here's what's better. When you go to a funeral... And in the house of mourning, you reflect on who you are and where you're headed and what your relationship is with the maker of the Son. You with me? Let me read it all. Starts with a proverb, and then the proverb is explained. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 6. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. <clears throat> Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Questions or comments about Ecclesiastes 7, 1 to 6? Freddie? I hadn't even thought of that element of it, but uh, I, I can see the parallel. Whether or not Solomon was writing to be prophetic would be a question. Uh, but you, you do see a progression there from one to the other in the events of the death of the Savior. All right, takeaways. Ah. Reputation flows 
from character. Remember I said to you when we started this morning, you can't just write out what you want your reputation to be and pass that out to everybody. Like, well, here's, here's my reputation. Here's my resume, and it captures my reputation. It doesn't work that way. Reputation flows from character. So, if you will decide early in life that you want your character to be what God wants human behavior to be, then good reputation flows from that. If you decide your character will be as God has directed, as Christ illustrates, as the Holy Spirit has written in the Bible, and you live in pursuit of that, your reputation will flow. You don't get to craft your reputation on paper. Your reputation is crafted as a product of your character. If you try to craft your character and reputation based on what is under the sun, Solomon says that's vanity. Another way to express that, I want to be sure I get it across. Reputation is based on what you do not original thought with me here. Reputation is based on what you do with the dash in your existence. Here's what that means, and it's not original with me. One's life is often stated, especially in obituaries and tombstones, as 19-something dash the date of your death. So if I died today, have no plans, but if I died today, it would be 1947-2017. It's interesting that what separates the year of your birth from the year of your death, when it's printed that way, is a dash. Reputation is based on what you do with that dash. So you cannot just write out your reputation and pass that out to people. Reputation is based on what you do with that dash. Reputation flows from and is a product of character. The good news is the mistakes that we've made can be erased. Forgiven based on the death of Christ in our response of active faith to Him. Solomon encourages us to think about what we do with the dash in our existence. And Solomon recommends that in the house of mourning, that's a good time to reflect on what you're doing with your life and where you are headed because someday you'll be there. You will no longer have an earthly existence. Uh, number two, death and grief can be instructive for the living. Death and grief can be instructive for the living. I found this the other day, not original with me, Keith Krell wrote this, but I thought it was interesting and it helps me to think about what we have studied today. If you were to visit old church buildings in New England, 
you would notice that many of them have a cemetery right outside the building in the churchyard. The windows in the auditorium are filled with clear rather than stained glass so that the preacher would see the graveyard as he preached. As he communicated his message to the congregation, a very serious message was being communicated to him. It was within his view. 250 years ago, people believed that the central mission of the church was to bring men and women into a right relationship with God through Christ. That's why many constructed their church buildings with see-through windows. They wanted their preachers to be continually reminded of the seriousness of their calling. Everyone who sat in the pews before them each Sunday would eventually be out in the churchyard under the ground. Interesting. There's sort of something like that in rural Arkansas and maybe in rural Texas and rural Kansas and other places where you've been where the church building is there and the cemetery is just right there within view. Some places in Arkansas, you have to drive by the cemetery before you get to the church building. Interesting sidelight to what we've studied. And then I wanted to say in my last few minutes, every funeral anticipates your own. Every, every funeral anticipates your own. I'm not a prophet. I can't diagnose medical conditions. I can't tell you when, but I'm certain either you will die or you'll be here when the Lord comes. Uh, you can use essential oils, exercise. You can consume all the brown rice in China. But it'll be one or the other. Death or you'll be here when the Lord comes. Either way, your earthly existence is not forever. And the simple message of the Bible is, you can get ready now based on the death of Christ and your response of faith to Him. Wise people number their days and make the most of their time and wise people reflect on how they're conducting their lives before God at every funeral, and we would hope in between as well. One more thing. Be very careful about what you promise when you leave a funeral. I've been preaching 47 years, and I've heard this many many times. People will go to a funeral who have not been faithful to the Lord. I mean, you'll see people at funerals that you haven't, you haven't seen at the assemblies for years. But they show up at a funeral. And sometimes you can see that at least in some way they've been moved to think about how they're living. 
And when they pass by the preacher and shake his hand and say, Good service, very often you'll hear something like this. I'm going to be there Sunday. I'm going to be there Sunday. I've been thinking about how I've been living my life. While I'm sitting here listening to you preach this funeral, I'm going to be there Sunday. Not yet. Haven't seen one. 47 years. Not one who left the funeral home making the promise has showed up. Be careful what you say when you leave the funeral home. And remember this from Ecclesiastes. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study. We will try to get our electronics going before the assembly. Glad that you were here.